Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and something I picture the future having is definitely balloon bicycles. Like in Victorian era style, where the balloons hold the bicycle up and you, you pedal through the air with fans. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. What's stopping you from doing that now? You know, that's a good question. I think the future has arrived. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm Cameron, and I think uh, augmented reality glasses are going to be a big thing in the next couple decades. I think whether it's a good thing or not, in the next few years, everyone will be going around with like video game style heads up displays. Ooh, I see that for sure. Uh, more exciting maybe than mine is I'm Kristen, and I would quite like the future to have a good solution to single-use plastics. I'm Caitlin. And I think the future should have unicorns. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Genetically modified unicorns. Well, I don't know how else they would come, unless they came from another planet. I mean, we, I could go aliens or genetic modification. Either way, as long as the animal's okay. I'm not advocating animal cruelty here. <laughs> and uh, hi, my name is Axie, and I know the future will have a PlayStation 7. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. But um, I... I think um, it'll be the future will have something to do with like ocean, like turning salt water into like drinkable water or building like land out of out of the land of the ocean, stuff like that. I feel like there has to be something there that's going to happen in the future. Ooh, yeah, for sure. We definitely need all the water we can get right now. So I hope that comes sooner rather than later. But a big welcome to Axio, the author Rebel Soul, Rogue Heart, XOXO, coming July 13th. And The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea, coming early next year. Tell us about your books, Axie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, you guys. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so my debut novel, Rebel Soul, and the companion novel are both sci-fi, YA sci-fi, set in the futuristic Korea. And they are about, like, uh, a dystopia future, East Asia, and giant. they have giant robots, like Pacific Rim. <laughs> so it was yes. Pacific Rim meets Korean dramas. And then um, XOXO, which comes out in July, is my YA rom-com debut, or, you know, rom-com that um, is about a Korean-American girl who falls in love with a K-pop star. And then my fantasy that comes out next year, The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea, is a YA retelling of a classic Korean folktale. So lots of different genres. <laughs> I love so that. Cool. Well, I just have a question. I know this isn't what we wanted to talk about, but I'm wondering about your experience in writing in those three different genres because they're so different. Like, have you found things that sort of pull them together? Or I'm just really curious about that. Yeah, um, I think it's that I've read, I, like since I was young, I've always read all those different genres. So when I, even when I was writing my sci-fi series, I had people telling me, oh, your voice is very contemporary. You should write a contemporary. Um, but then, but then even as, as I was writing my sci-fi, I was writing my contemporary, my love, my first love was always fantasy. So it's like, it's just like, I think it's just like, I've always been drawn to all these genres. And I think the thing that ties them all together is I always have my cultural heritage. Like all, I always draw from Korean uh, history and culture. So I think that's like what draws them together. But um, in terms of genre, that I think it's just, just like the way you can write any genre is just from reading a lot. I think I'm just like a big nerd. <laughs> Best kind of nerd to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And um, that's something I was wondering as well. So that's great. Today, we're going to jump into something you're, you're very familiar with from Rebel Soul and Rogue Heart, and we're hoping you can shed some insight on it for us. Um, designing a future. 
And as the teaser question before kind of showed, we're going to jump into what what writers can do with a future, how a future can help your books, things like that. So let's go ahead and start with how can you extrapolate your book's future from the present? Um, I know that's not something writers have to do to design a future, but if you did do that, how did you do that? Um, it's interesting because that is exactly what I did. That's like the only thing I did. Um, besides the giant robots, everything, all the world building I did for my sci-fi series is based on how Korea is now and how it was in the past. So for things like themes and ideologies, um, I just totally drew from Korea's past because Korea was uh, colonized. And so there's a whole, in the 1900s, there's this whole like history of it being um, oppressed. It was an oppressed country and it was struggling to like regain its nationhood. So the whole theme of Rebel Soul is that it's like regaining nationhood because of the world as a dystopia. And it's about like um, freedom fighters, like the main character, he's a freedom fighter. He's trying to like, he's a rebel, like rebel, rebel soul. Um, and so I totally just took I just just took whatever was in the past and made it into the future. So hopefully it doesn't happen because that's just history repeating itself. And then same with taking things in the present. I mostly did that for all of the sci-fi elements because really like, like for example, I just put like there's subways in Seoul. Like that's like in New York City, you know how they have a really great subway system. In Seoul, they also have a similar amazing subway system. And I just put it in the sky. <laughs> and then uh, like Korea, the, the natural geography of Seoul is there's a river that runs through the city and it just cuts the city in half. And right now it's also like the top of the river is like an older area and the bottom of the river is a newer area. So I just did like old Seoul, neo Seoul. So everything was just very like what it was in the present. And I just made it, I just futurized it and <laughs> made up that word just now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's a great way to take it. Um, you start with what you have in the present and then you can you can come up with a solution, you know, oh, underground was too crowded. Let's move it to the sky. And then that creates whole new obstacles and whole new problems the characters have to tackle. So I feel like, you know, as as a species, as humans, we're never going to solve all the problems and our solutions will always bring new complications to the scene that are fun and exciting in a book. I feel like that's the core of sci-fi is taking what we have and being like, well, what if it was 10 steps down the line and being able to make those, you know, dreams that you have of weird things come to life. And then exploring exactly how bad how good. those uh, those dreams <laughs> might make. Starting new problems, solving some and starting more. When I'm thinking about extrapolating futures from the present, my my particular brand of super nerd is I like, I like to look at like political power structures and the way technology um, changes and and patterns from the past, like how things have worked. And so in particular, there's a couple of online resources that I think are, are, are kind of fantastic. I would highly recommend um, a video called The Rules for Rulers by CGP Gray on YouTube. And then also um, a, a video series called On World Building How Empires Work by Hello Future Me. Both of those do a really good job at at extracting kind of the constants of human behavior um, outside of the you know the geographic and current political moment just kind of like like how people tend to behave and why they behave that way so talking bring, bringing it back to um, extrapolating out for a future you say okay well what's changed are we just are we 20 years down the line and computers are that much faster and that much smaller okay what people being people what are they going to do with that um, yeah, that's really cool. Those are some great resources. So once you've decided, 
you want to extrapolate your future and you're going to kind of start on this journey, how can writers decide uh, what tone their future should have? Yeah, it's interesting because the tone of my book was just based off of aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) And also like my literary sensibility. Like I wanted to write um, a really dark, gritty kind of cyberpunk but also like beautifully romantic kind of story. And so I couldn't really have um, uh, a cold future. I couldn't have like a future that was too, like the futures that you see that are more uh, very far advanced in the future where it's like space and all that kind of stuff. And they have like a lot of, you know, metal interiors. I don't even know. I wanted my future to be like, a dystopia like it's a gritty it's like a soul but like a layer of dirt on it <laughs> it's like it's like old soul and then neo soul is like a more fancy sci-fi and i kind of looked at concept art of like futuristic i looked up futuristic asian cities and i looked at like concept art um and so for me it was more the tone was based on um the writing style i wanted to do for the, specifically for this book which is sort of that edgy i watched like there's this anime called Psychopaths, which has a sort of like edgy, dark interior. Um, and I kind of was thinking it would be something like that. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a, because it's a dystopia, it wouldn't be like a utopia future. It's more grittier. And so that definitely set the tone for me. Um, but yeah, it began with Pinterest, <laughs> like everything does for me. Awesome. Well, I mean, I feel like that's a great start. Because there's honestly I mean, such a great future... resource. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I love Pinterest and that I, I know that like mood boards don't work for everybody, but I think they do work for a lot of people, especially when establishing tone, because you sort of have just this collection of images that help you like reach for, for something. And I just like that there's a, like a physical goal that you can see. I, so I'm with you. I love Pinterest. <laughs> well, I'm when, for all. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, for all of my books, I, I have a Pinterest board, and I've sold two books on proposal, and my agent has included the Pinterest board in both of them. That's awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I feel like the tone is such an important part of, of any kind of near future book, because all the ones I'm thinking of, you know, like Warcross, which is like the mm-hmm. video gamer kind of dystopia sort of feeling. It's not really dystopia, but it's coming from a have-not perspective, which feels like dystopia. Or like, I wrote a dystopia that's in the near future where I just wanted every word to cut and be cold and like scary and sad. I remember once or when the when the book first came out, somebody did like a Twitter. If you were living in the world that that you're reading about right now, where would you be? And somebody said, I would not want to live in this book. I would be dead. <laughs> I would be frozen to death and I'm done. So but I feel like there's so many books that do a good job of like of not necessarily doing like that full-on dystopia everybody's gonna die thing I mean like Ali Condi's Matched Books does a really good like we're kind of in a fluffy happy place and it sort of you know descends into more dystopia as you get going and I mean there's so many great examples especially in that near future dystopia world or like The Hunger Games which is very bleak from the very beginning or I don't know there's lots of them. And I'll just put in a quick plug um, for Happy Futures. <laughs> I love Meet the Robinsons. And the one scene where they fly out in the future is actually more wonderful than we ever dreamed. It's just it's so fantastic. Um, so if you feel like taking it a fluffy, happy direction, that's totally fine, too. You know, it even can stand out maybe against the darker background. Um, but there are a lot of different directions. It's just really up to you. And you can sort of mix and match. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts on Netflix, but it's adorable. And It's both at the same time. 
Well, it's it's set in like what I would consider a horrible future that I don't want to live in, but it has such like a wholesome, gentle feel to it. So so you just because the world sucks doesn't mean that your tone has to be sucky too. So like it's it's interesting that you can sort of get those contradictions. Or like um the new one that just went up on Netflix, The Mitchells at the end of the world, the, mm. the, the Mitchells one. Have you guys oh, Mitchells yeah, versus like the Machines. that? Yes, there we go. That one is extremely bleak as far as like the future of humanity, but it is hilarious and ridiculous and silly, and the tone is not bleak at all. So you can definitely mix and match. So once you once you know what you want your future to look like, and you know what you want your future to feel like, how can writers make their futures believable? Because I, I would love to see balloon bicycles, but I, it would take some selling to make me believe that. Well, and I think part of the question is, do you want it to be believable too? That's true. Yeah, I think... Assuming um, you do. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just it's just about the character. It's always about the characters. Like, if they interact with things naturally in a way that you believe it, then it makes sense. Like, if... I guess for my books, I had one really unbelievable thing, which is giant robots. <laughs> like, war in my future is conducted through people piloting giant robots and fighting each other. Like, if you can believe that, <laughs> everything else, you know. Um, but I, I definitely think, when I, when I thought of this question, I thought of, like, Star Wars um, and how they have, like, practical effects. So I really love the scenes when the characters are interacting with um, the aliens or like their robots, which which you know they create that they're real robots that move and do things. So like they're actually interacting with the real thing as opposed to CGI. And when I thought of that, I was thinking those scenes really feel tactile. They feel really um, real to me because they are actually interacting with something real. <laughs> um, and so for when I was thinking of this question, I was thinking. Yeah, I think when the characters, what makes it believable is when they're interacting with the world in a really believable, tangible way, which is why I add, I think I, I add in familiar touchstones, like I add in culture and I add in, you know, things like the Skyway because people will have, you know, they'll have a, um, a real world analog so that they can, they know what that is besides the giant robots. So you have like giant robots, so they'll be like, all right, all right, I guess I can kind of believe that. And then you have things like you can believe a boy respecting, you know, an elder, because that's very like East Asian culture. You can believe like, um, you know, uh, bromance or like girls fighting together, like a sisterhood. Like you can believe all those kind of things because they're real, but also giant robots. <laughs> a, so a, a, a term I've heard tossed around in the circles of conversation is accepted breaks from reality. Mm. So you have the things that are breaks from reality. So, you know, whether it's a giant robot or like in love and monsters the fact that you just have giant monsters everywhere you you accept that that's different from what you would expect but then everything else is a realistic consequence of that existing mm -hmm. so in love and monsters you have the realistic consequence of everyone lives in bunkers in the ground um and it and it and it makes sense yeah I'm always tempted to go into a firefly tangent here because everything <laughs> in that was realistic science fiction with the exception of the fact that they had uh, artificial gravity. Same with Battlestar Galactica. Anyway, so the point go being... Ahead. Go no, ahead. you go ahead. Make your point. Well, it's kind of a different kind of accepted break from reality because we're going, we're going into big, big nerd territory here. <laughs> but if you can make artificial gravity, that opens up all kinds of weird things that you can do that neither Firefly or Battlestar Galactica go into. They just sort of we just accept that because it's really hard to film <laughs> and simulate zero G that there's just, there's just gravity on these ships and, and it's never going to become a plot point. Um, 
and and because it's never a plot point, it's fine that it's not explained and it's not used. So I'm reading The Ones We're Meant to Find by Joan Hill right now, mm, which is yes. a wonderful book. Everybody, please go read it. Um, it's about two sisters who are trying to like find each other. One of them is marooned on an island, and the other one is back in their hometown and thinks she's dead, except she doesn't really believe it, but she really does believe it. So it's really cool. It's beautifully written, and I love it. And one of the reasons it's so believable is it takes, even though like there are literally cities in the sky, like there's lots of, of departures from reality in this book, but... Um, all the justification is firmly rooted in reality. It's all about climate change or like um, one of the characters is constantly regulating like her serotonin levels and like mm. through through um, like apps in her head. That's not the words they use in the book. But she like in there like because everybody is crowded together, there are acceptable ranges for people as far as their serotonin levels or like their amount of work that they do or how much space they have. And all of those things make so much sense based on where the world went, based on problems that we have now. So there are extrapolations that are really, really easy to follow, even though it's like way out in left field. And it's a really good book and you should all read it. That sounds fantastic. Um, and I love that because I'd just like to to emphasize a point that Cameron made in that believability is all about implications, implications, implications. Um, any one uh, design of the future isn't going to exist in a vacuum. It's going to trigger other things. You know, if we're low on water, people are going to fight for the water, which means... Mm -hmm crime lords are going to rise. And so one way to really tap into that believability is to make sure every aspect of the iceberg that your readers can see um, connects with every other aspect. So no facet of life, um, social, political, religious, is unaffected by this big new future that you have. On the flip side, you can go way too deep into that too. Like if you just have like throw away and then that's how religion worked out. That's okay too. It depends on what kind of book you're writing and how thick it's going to be too. <laughs> so, Well, I mean, because there's also the other flip side to the flip side is you can totally just go absurdist just as long as you're aware that's what you're doing. You can do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where it doesn't actually make any sense, but that's okay because it's the point. <laughs> well, and there's a happy medium in there somewhere. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> You can go anytime. The point is to be intentional. So if you don't go absurdist, and we only have about a minute for this question, but you really want your tech to feel real and gritty, um, how can you make that tech and the futuristic aspects uh, believable in and of themselves when most people nowadays don't even understand how their smartphone works? Yeah, I think it's going back to um, what you guys are talking about, about um, the character. If they're knowledgeable about something then they'll go into details about it. But if they're not knowledgeable about it, then they can just be like, yeah, like what you were, oh, like what you were saying, like, oh yeah, the religion, whatever. And then you go on. Because, you know, if they're not, if it's not part of, the, like if they're not part of that religious, you know, uh, people, then why would they talk about it? Why would they go into depth? Um, well, like, for example, my main character in Rebel Soul, he's a, he is a pilot. So he'll go into really, he goes into depth about you know, being a pilot and I had to research like <laughs> fighter pilots and all that kind of stuff. But my other character, my in my sequel, she's not. She's she's not a pilot, but she has when she does, you know, pilot the giant robots, she doesn't go into details because she wouldn't know any of them. But she does go into details about her feelings because she's very emotional. So I think it's just about the character um, and then focusing on what they know. If they're an expert, then you go into it. If they're not, then, you know, you can just <laughs> you can just mention it in passing. <laughs> That's a great point. Does anyone have any final thoughts before we move on to the next section? 
Awesome. Well, now we'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. Um, if you would like to check out the text of the submission and see all of our notes for yourself, go to our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. You can find it there. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can also find our submission guidelines there. So quick summary of this week's chapter, and I'm totally going to butcher this character's name, so I, I apologize. Uh, Rayun, a girl consumed by ice inside and out, travels through the woods at the same time the country's king finishes the last leg of an important journey among the trees. So what are some things we liked about this chapter? I thought it was extremely atmospheric. I'll second that. Fall is just such a beautiful time for storytelling, and I, I could really get all the fall vibes in this in this submission. Yeah, I thought the I thought the writing was very lovely. I thought it felt very um like a seasoned fantasy writer and I thought it was very smooth storytelling. And I I got Elsa vibes from Rune. I called her Rune, I don't know. I got strong Elsa vibes from that character. I really love the personification of the force. There's lots of like grasping and glorying and demanding and like the stealing of attention. It feels like a character in of itself, which I was excited to see. I would keep waiting for it to grab Rune and like eat her or try. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of really cool little world building details that sort of added up to a nice whole. Like, I mean, maybe I don't read a lot of fantasy of this style because I really liked the thought of the Queen's Foresters. Like, of course, if there's a big forest, the Queen's going to need somebody to keep the pass clear. I just thought that was really cool. It was like a small detail that I wouldn't have thought of myself, but that made perfect sense once I heard it. I liked... um so this this tone overall is pretty serious of this submission, but every once in a while there would be a small humorous line that I thought was really nicely done. For instance, one of the king's scouts is so overwhelmed by his majesty's presence that he looks like he's trying to find a way to kneel in the saddle. And then um, the king thinks ruefully about how his horse is named Our Sovereign Star. <laughs> what are some things that might need a second look? I don't know if it's something that needs a second look, but I think it might be interesting to talk about. I thought that definitely pacing-wise, this felt much more like like adult high fantasy than anything YA. And I enjoyed the pacing. I thought it was kind of luxurious and relaxing to read, but I'm, I'm interested to get y'all's thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I thought, um, like I said, I thought the writing was very lovely and very well, well written, um, but I did think it was uh, an older feeling. And I think it was uh, omniscient narrator a uh, third person omniscient i believe which i think was a little jarring in the beginning just because i just assumed it would be third person li uh, limited to the point of view character of rune and then later um the king and another thing about the character of the king i didn't see as much a desire line for him like if he's i had i had this thought like if he's the king and i'm assuming he's young if this is ya his like he, he, i'm assuming his parents are dead if he's the king um and i'm assuming that like means a lot of responsibility and it sounds like they're coming he, they're like the whole team of them are coming from something something that happened that was really um jarring for them or like that was a something that was difficult for them um but he and they talk about how he's coping with it but he's like making jokes he like wants to eat the raspberries <laughs> and then like he even says like he wants to be back to his happier self and so I just felt like hmm I'm curious about this character I felt that there were some things that um I wanted to know more about him and I know that it's the beginning and I know that you know there's going to be more stuff happening and I like that it draws out like it makes you ask these questions but I also think there has to be more hints of what he wants and what what actually happened that's making him that, that you know that is setting this whole story off 
I agree. I feel like while I liked the insight into the king's character, I don't feel like anything happened in any of the scenes with him. Like, he seems like a very benevolent... I, I wasn't sure how old he was. Like, I think there's a note in mind that's like, is this guy, like, 50? Is he, like, an old king? And then it mentioned him being young, and I was like, okay, I mean, maybe. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't see that, but okay. And um, I just, I like Axie said, I don't know what he wants or why he wants it or even like where like like she's saying I would have loved a couple more I'm already being prescriptive here sorry I would have loved more hints about what it is they were doing because like in any book a lot of times the actual information is a lot more interesting than like trying to hint that something's happening because if we start with some kind of conflict I mean you don't want to start with an um a conflict that hasn't been couched or given enough context to be interesting but in this case I don't know that there is a conflict and so continuing to read about him felt like more talk about like raspberries and I'm like I don't need to read about raspberries I was just going to say it's interesting because they they hinted at there at the end of the chapter his section they hinted at the conflict like there's a darkness happening and I and I asked myself did they know this was going to happen? Like, were they waiting for the darkness to happen? Or is it like a surprise? Because if it's a surprise, I still think it should be foreshadowed. I don't know. Is this prescriptive? I don't really know what that means. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just thinking like, uh, you know, like if there was more foreshadowing, then I, then I would feel that more tension as opposed to like it happening at the end of the chapter. Then I'm like, oh, conflict? And then we're gone. <laughs> I do think, I think like the runes section is a good kick in the right direction of foreshadowing that we're going to get some kind of conflict because obviously something is very wrong <laughs> um mm -hmm. with her um, yeah, the moments of screaming are great i loved that yeah she's mm -hmm. she's it, the impression i got very much is that she is either running from something or running to do something um but i, I, I can't get any more specific than that and we had a lot of words to not be able to be more specific than that so i like it is very atmospheric and very oh i want to know what's happening but I think the hook could stand to be hookier. Yeah, that's that's sort of how I felt, especially like we've had a lot of comments about the king not really having motivation or direction. And I honestly felt the same way about Rune, um, where something very interesting is happening to her. But I have no idea what she thinks about it or like it was just such a small amount of time to be in her head and so much of that was describing the scenery and then we're told that the scenery like she's not noticing the scenery so it just felt like maybe um it wasn't quite as direct as it could be to help uh get us really hooked in it which i mean you can i will oh, say go ahead I, I like the choice to not spend a lot of time in her head, given that apparently I mean, the impression I'm getting, she's like magically sealing off her emotions. Um, but that that doesn't mean that you then want to spend a lot of time around there not seeing that, if that if that makes sense. Like, I, I really like the choice to not see a lot of emotion from her, but it means maybe constrict the words that are around not seeing more of her. I think that you can get away with a certain amount of like... Uh, blips that are not explained where you're just experiencing something and character is having happened to them but I don't know how much of it you can have happen all at once like if we have like Rune where we don't know what she's doing and it's very scary but then we also have the king where we don't know what he's doing and it's not actually that scary I mean having it all laid out at the beginning like that is kind of a risk because then there's nothing to like grab onto we're about out of time final thoughts 
Uh, I mean, my final thought for that was just I was curious. Oh, you can how... you can say what you're going to oh. say. Sorry, actually, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> oh no, um, my final thought just for the pages, which I did I did really love, um, was just the connection between them. Um, I know that it you don't necessarily have to have a connection, but and I guess but I guess it's because it starts with her and it ends with her. I was like, but how are they tied together? Is she going to does she know him? You know, things like that. I had all these questions, um, which is a good thing, I guess, because you want you want the reader to be intrigued, and I was. For sure. Thanks so much to this author for submitting. We all enjoyed reading your work. And Axie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I love, I mean, the podcast can't see, but I love seeing all your faces. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we, we love seeing yours. So this is great. Listeners, be sure to keep an eye out for XOXO dropping July 13th. So a few days after this episode, I believe. Our next guest will be Aaron A. Craig, the New York Times bestselling author of YA fantasy horror, House of Salt and Sorrows, and Small Favors coming out end of July. If you'd like a critique from Aaron, submit your chapter by July 18th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.